What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everyone. On a big day for the markets, the economy, and the U.S., stocks are staging a big turnaround after dropping sharply on news that President Trump and the First Lady both tested positive for COVID-19. What does it mean for investors, for policy negotiations, for the campaign and the fate of this pandemic? We've got it all covered today, and we begin with the latest on the president himself. Kayla Tausche joins us now with that. Kayla? Kelly, the president was supposed to participate in a call last hour with senior citizens to discuss combating the coronavirus, but he asked the vice president to lead that call in his stead, according to a source. This was the only agenda item on the president's schedule today. Everything else had been removed overnight, including a large rally set for tonight in Florida. Now, he is isolating in the White House residence throughout the day, and I've learned from a senior administration official that the vice president may take on additional commitments depending on how the president's condition and his symptoms progress. Many top officials in proximity to the president have already tested negative in recent hours. The Treasury Secretary, the Attorney General, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Economic Director Larry Kudlow, and advisors Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Meadows told reporters this morning that the White House learned of the positive case of Hope Hicks, uh, one of his top communications aides, as the president boarded Marine One for a roundtable and fundraising event in New Jersey yesterday afternoon. Meadows acknowledged that the president engages a wide circle of people and that he expects the number of positive cases at the White House to rise. We've tested all of our core staff, and I can tell you that uh, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Kushner, Mr. Scavino, myself, a number of, uh, of us uh, have been tested, have come back with, with negative re results. And, and yet, at the same time, I fully expect uh, that as this virus continues to go on, other people in the White House will certainly uh, 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 have a, a positive test result. To that end, three administration officials say that staffers who are working on site at the West Wing today, which they describe as chaotic, uh, have been tested with the rapid Abbott test that the White House displayed on Monday afternoon in a Rose Garden event, and that only staffers who test negative are allowed to remain on site. Kelly? Kayla, I saw this headline here uh, as it regards the, uh, Joe Biden, the uh, vice, former vice president, obviously, uh, Trump's rival in this campaign. It says he will still travel to Michigan after his negative test result. And Michigan in particular sticks in our mind because that's where Trump really staked his campaign going into 2016. And it wound up paying off. I wonder about the importance of Biden being able to continue to hold events like these. Well, Michigan and Pennsylvania are going to be two critical states. Michigan, not only for the presidential campaign, but there also is a contentious Senate race there as well. Uh, so armed with that negative test that the campaign just disclosed last hour, Biden is continuing with his com uh, commitments. Uh, the pool that is traveling with him has also been tested. The pool has tested negative. They have reported this morning. And we will keep you posted as the schedules evolve and some of these additional diagnoses come in, Kelly. Yeah. 
Kayla, we appreciate it. Kayla Tausche, thank you. Let's move to stocks, which are lower on these developments, but way off the lows of the session today. We were down more than 400 points this morning. The Nasdaq is still sharply lower, though. Let's get more with Seema Modi now. Seema. Kelly Evans, a lot of movement in the last hour. Let's get everyone up to speed on where markets stand. At the lows of the day, the Dow was down 434 points, but then comments from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on relief for the airlines. That helped the market rally down now. Uh, basically hugging the flat line, as you can see, now in positive territory of four points. But take a look at the airlines, firmly in positive territory, now among the best performers on the day. Names like JetBlue, United Airlines, and Southwest, all seeing gains of around 1% to 2%. Travel had been under pressure across the board, specifically the cruise lines. I reported earlier today that a meeting between cruise CEOs and the Vice President Mike Pence that was scheduled for today at the White House has now been postponed. Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise Line Carnival, uh, they're now down just fractionally on the day, less than 1%. On the other hand, as those lockdown worries grow, some of those stay-at-home winners holding on to games, names like Domino, Zoom Video, Peloton at a record high today and now up 280% year-to-date. With that said, technology as a whole still the worst-performing sector. Uh, Large-cap names like Facebook, Apple, and Amazon all down about 2%. Worth noting, all these names are also down about 10% over the past four weeks. Kelly Evans, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you very, very much. Let's dig into now what the president's COVID diagnosis and the big jobs report that we got this morning all means for the political landscape and for the economy. Joining me now is Larry Lindsay. He is CEO of the Lindsay Group and former National Economic Council director under President George W. Bush. Larry, I'm glad you're here today. And what is your thought about how this COVID diagnosis could affect uh, the politics of this election? Well, certainly the president is handicapped because uh, he's not able to campaign, uh, and that's probably a negative. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, he's a he's a pretty tough guy, and everyone who knows him knows he's a tough guy. You only have to watch his debate style, and you know he's a tough guy. So I think he's probably going to come through. Uh, the um, estimates are, you know, just statistically, he's probably got a 90-plus percent chance of coming through this. And I imagine if he does, that he's going to come out uh, stronger than ever. Larry, you were already a little skeptical about Trump. I, I don't want to, I don't know if I should say it quite like this, but about his reelection odds. I mean, you've said, look, this thing is really, really close. Um, not speaking to necessarily his survival here, but just having to curtail some of his activities. Like I mentioned to Kayla, you've got Joe Biden heading to Michigan tonight. Um, does that does this put the odds more in in Biden's favor? And what do you think the odds kind of look like overall at this point? Yes, well, certainly in the short run, uh, the vice president now has the campaign trail all to himself. Although, um, if the past is any guide, uh, having it all to himself does not exactly mean a hectic schedule. Uh, he took a third of August off completely, so um, and basically did one event a day the other days. So, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to matter that much. Uh, obviously, the president, uh, given his poll position, uh, needs every day he can get to campaign. Um, and so that is the disadvantage. Mm. On the other hand, uh, assuming he comes through through it, I think the contrast um, between him and Vice President Biden uh, in terms of vigor um, uh, will become quite stark. And... Um, 
you know, I, I, I don't think this is necessarily uh, going to shift the odds uh, of what's going to happen on November 3rd or after November 3rd, as the case may be. So we're one final question on this, then I want to ask you about the jobs report. But are you anticipating uh, that the president is reelected at this point? I think right now it is a complete toss up. And, um, you know, uh, I know for our client's sake, we're going to have to refine that uh, uh, as we get closer. Uh, but, um, you know, it's going to go into extra innings, especially if it's as close as we think it's going to be. And um, uh, there's going to be a lot of contention. And I think that's going to be um, the biggest issue. You know, the vice president really should take advantage of this and get out more. Um, I think he had one other gain. I mean, his campaign has been looking, and Democrats in general, have been looking for an excuse to not do a second or third debate. And I think this may give them that excuse. Uh, the vice president, um, uh, most people think he probably won, although it's hardly overwhelming. Um, and he did not show himself to be vigorous. He certainly showed himself to be not senile. Uh, but he did look quite frail. And I think, you know, I always watch debates with the sound off because, in effect, that's what most Americans do. And if you look at it from the sound off, um, I think the president uh, looked, the, looked the part and the vice president uh, did not. Well, I hadn't heard of that tactic before to watch it with the sound off, but I might have to try. Oh, I've been in this game Larry, a long and time, Kelly. And and, you know, think about people watching the nightly news, right? They're, they've got the kids running around, they're cooking dinner, they have it on in the background, and most of it is visual. And uh, in 1992, uh, then-President Bush destroyed his election chances by taking two seconds and glancing at his watch. Um, in 1960, the people who listened to the debate on the radio thought uh, Nixon won. The people who watched it thought Kennedy True. won. Well, it's visual. I'm sorry. It's visual. It is not audio. All right. Well, let me turn to something that was purely numbers based, and that was the jobs report this morning. And you had a really interesting take on it. We've talked about there's a slowing of momentum. We're going to speak more about this a little bit later on. But you're really focused on the wage numbers and what you say is a labor strike in a way that's going on across this country because workers on the frontline kind of jobs in retail, you know, you name it, they don't want to go into an unsafe situation. You think they're going to have to bid up wages to get them back. How does this play out over the next several months, do you think? Well, I think wages are going to continue uh, to go up. Uh, real wages, I think, are, are uh, you know, kind of uh, have been going up, and I think that trend is going to continue. But particularly in uh, lower wage occupations, and particularly where there's a lot of contact with the public, um, I think that uh, the firms are simply going to have to pay more uh, to attract the workers. Um, we also have other industries, uh, notably construction, where everyone says there's a great shortage of workers. So I don't think you should look at a, what, 7.8% unemployment rate and say, oh, my gosh, we've got lots of slack in the economy. There's actually... Um, a bunch of separate economies going on, uh, and some of them are actually quite tight, uh, and some of them are not. Yeah. So, um, uh, yes, I think we're going to, I think we've probably by now at the margin met 
the Fed's 2% target, and we're going to be exceeding it as we go into next year. Um, they said that's fine with them. I believe that's what they believe. Um, but um, we are faced with COVID costs. We are faced with higher labor costs. And we have more than adequate demand out there, um, as the consumer spending numbers showed. So, um, One you know, I think that, um, that we have inflation on the way, yes. And I want to sneak in one final question then to kind of put a button on all of this. Given what you've just laid out, do you think we need more fiscal stimulus? And do you still think based on the Fed's actions alone already, we could be talking about the S&P at 4,000 next year? Yeah, so the problem with monetary stimulus is that it tends to go into asset prices. Um, it doesn't trickle down, as the phrase, uh, very well. Uh, fiscal stimulus done right, uh, meaning direct uh, payments to households is, I think, much more effective for the economy. So although I think not passing a bill, I would call it survivable, um, certainly if you want to uh, lower chances, you want to have a solid bill, uh, one that is focused in particular on um, uh, help for households. Yeah. All right. Larry, appreciate checking in with you, especially on a very big day like this. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Kelly. Have a good day. Larry Lindsay with the Lindsay Group. Let's talk a little bit more about the market right now with stocks way off their lows of the session and the Dow, in fact, turning positive midday after a more than 400 point drop earlier. Here to share their thoughts on the markets in light of all of these big developments today, Kim Forrest is Chief Investment Officer at Boca Capital Partners and Stephen Stanley is Chief Economist at Amherst Pierpoint Securities. Welcome to you both. And Kim, since you're the market maven here, uh, what do you think? You just heard Larry Lindsay's point of view. What's your own? And how do, how do the events of the day change that if they do? I agree largely with a lot of what Larry said, although I am um, uh, afraid of the lower income households not getting their needs met if we don't pass some sort of um, fiscal stimulus. So I think what drove today's markets was um, the news that uh, those talks had continued, although yesterday it looked like they were drawing to a close. So um, I, I strongly believe that the politicians understand this is an election, but they actually have to do something before the election, or um, you know maybe the populists uh, won't elect the people that they want them to. So um, that's all good news for the people who need to be helped. It's a good point. So, Stephen, that brings us to this debate over whether that uh, aid, that support might be coming in the next couple of weeks now. Uh, what are your own odds at this point? Uh, of a stimulus package? I, I, I think it's it's yeah. a less than an odds-on bet at this point, at least until after the election. It, it just feels like uh, congressional negotiators are, are dug in. Uh, the two sides are far apart. It's, it's a little ironic because I think the administration is the one entity that's actually in the middle is willing to compromise and is very eager for a deal. My sense is that the House Democrats and the Senate Republicans are, are kind of locked in with their positions and are just not willing to, to meet in the middle at this point. Where does that leave you on the economy? And do you agree with what Larry said about the inflation that he's seeing uh, in certain industries and parts of the labor market, Stephen? I, yeah, I would say largely so. I think it, what he said about the stimulus, I would agree with, which is that it's survivable, but it would obviously be better if we had stimulus for the economy in the short run. 
Uh, I think what we saw in the income numbers that came out yesterday for August is that household finances in the aggregate are still in very good shape. Just because the, the federal government largesse has been so generous um, that for the most part, uh, households are still in, in pretty good shape. We do need to see the labor market continue to, to strengthen as we saw today. Um, but I think you know we're certainly headed in the right direction. I don't think we're going to have a, a big cliff effect if we don't get a deal done uh, in the next month or two. Hmm. Kim, let me turn back to you and talk about technology. I know your favorite sector of the market. Down today, uh, big cap tech in particular, what do you think is going on here? Um, how would you kind of explain the moves that we've seen in the NASDAQ, really going all the way back to the beginning of last month? Sure. Well, I think a lot of the consumer tech, which has driven the market, um, has some question marks around it. So if people aren't being able to, uh, you know, if there's large num not large numbers of people that could be laid off, like Disney and other entertainment-oriented uh, industries and travel, if those people don't return to work, um, what is going to happen to some of the companies that they've been using while they've been on hiatus and being paid for it? I have to tell you, I think um, Netflix could suffer. I know everybody has <laughs> thinks, well, what are you going to do at home then? I don't know. Maybe look for another job. Um, you know, th these are the things that we have to uh, look at. But I also think that those uh, names were more than fully valued a month ago. And they've kind of come back down to reflect lower um, revenue expectations in the short term. And I think that's probably right. That's fascinating that we may be moving from that period of, you know, intense kind of everybody holding up at home. There's there's government support. And now we're in a, a tougher economy, frankly, and one where maybe Netflix isn't the isn't there uh, the way that it was. Kim Forrest, Stephen Stanley, thank you both for your thoughts today. Really appreciate it. And we'll watch this market, as you mentioned, coming well off the lows of the session. Tech is still the laggard, though. And still ahead here on The Exchange, we'll talk about the new mortgage bailout numbers that suggest it's not all rosy in the housing market. It's been one of the best performing sectors of the market. We'll break down the new data. Plus, that final jobs report before the November election that we got this morning did show that momentum is slowing. We're going to speak with a member of the Council of Economic Advisors about that and more here on The Exchange on a very big day. Stay with us. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to The Exchange. Weekly mortgage bailout numbers are out, and the downtrend we've seen over the past six weeks has reversed. Diana Olick is here with the full details for us today. Diana? Yeah, Kelly, that's right. After improving for six straight weeks, the numbers are going in the wrong direction again. The amount of mortgages in pandemic-related bailout plans rose by 21,000 in the past week. That, according to Black Knight, 
So as of September 29th, roughly 3.6 million homeowners remain in forbearance. That is 6.8% of all active mortgages, together representing $751 billion in unpaid principal. Now, the increase was not across all mortgage types, but among bank-held and private-labeled security loans and, to a lesser extent, among FHA and VA loans. Those increases were offset by a decline of 9,000 in Fannie and Freddie loans in forbearance. Now, the government and private sector forbearance programs initiated at the start of the pandemic, they allow borrowers to delay their monthly payments for at least three months and for up to a year. It's granted in three-month terms, and so far, more than 75% of borrowers in bailouts are on extensions since March. Kelly? Diana, this goes back to the very discussion that we've just been having and the big one hanging over the economy. You know, these relief programs have really gone a long way. They seem to be quite popular. Uh, but what happens when they run out? We're, we're still a little ways off from that. But what did the, these latest data tell you? Well, what we're seeing with these extensions is very troubling because we want to see people start to come out of these forbearance programs and get current again on their payments. They don't have to make up the payments at the end of their plans. They can get that tacked on to the end of the loan or pay it back when they refi or sell the house. But if we get up to that one-year mark, which is the end of what the program said it was going to be, then what are those borrowers going to do? What happens next? So we need to know what going forward because after six months, it doesn't appear to be getting much better. Yeah. All right, Diana, thank you very much. Diana Olick on the housing industry for us. Coming up, the state of stimulus seems to be changing by the moment with news developments in just the last hour. We'll get you the very latest and see if uh, the news of the president's COVID-19 diagnosis, uh, what that could mean for policy negotiations. We'll also hear from the head of the Council of Economic Advisors on today's job support, the last one before the election and the first since April with less than a million jobs added. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's get a check on markets and what's been a very volatile day. Right now, the Dow's up about 25 points. We were down more than 400 earlier, and futures were down more than 500 points overnight after the president's positive COVID diagnosis. The S&P, though, is down four-tenths of 1% right now, or 13 points. And look at the Nasdaq, down 1.7% right now. That brings us to the sectors. Today, we have industrials, energy, and materials leading. Energy's a quirky one, especially because oil is still under pressure. Meanwhile, the laggards are technology. 
technology down about 2%. Communication services also has some big tech names in it. Let's take a look at the Dow. Your individual Dow winners today are Caterpillar and Dow itself. Caterpillar, of course, uh, with a nearly 3% gain helping the whole industrials, lagging our Amgen and Microsoft. Over in the S&P, it's a similar picture with tech lagging, especially big tech among the losers. Activision, Take-Two Interactive, Autodesk, and Adobe. So some of the best performers there, Adobe down 3.5%. Now to the latest economic data that's showing uh, job growth slowed for a third straight month in September. 661,000 jobs were added in the U.S. last month. The unemployment rate fell to 7.9%. Do these numbers lend more support for another round of stimulus? And what are they telling us about the state of the recovery? Joining me now is Tyler Goodspeed. He's acting chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. It's good to have you. Welcome. Good to be here. Do you support more stimulus to help this economy? Because I look at the number of permanent uh, layoffs and the way that it's climbing and the fact that we're only kind of gotten half the jobs lost back and you worry a little bit about what's coming in the months ahead. Well, we certainly would, as always, have hoped to see a bigger monthly jobs gain in September. Uh, when we're looking at the data, what we see is that the private sector added 877,000 jobs in the month of September. Just to put that in perspective, pre-2020, that would have constituted the third biggest monthly jobs gain on record. And this is in the context of nine states actually reversing reopening during the month of September, including the states of California, Texas, and Illinois. So the first, second, and fifth biggest economy, state economies in the U.S. And a further 10 states were pausing reopening during the survey reference period. Uh, so I think it's important to bear in mind yeah. that context. Uh, we have now regained 50, more than 50% of the jobs lost in those horrific months of March and April, uh, but there is more work to, to be done. Uh, and the, the remaining 48% are certainly going to be harder than the first 52%. And that is why the administration remains committed to achieving a phase four deal that would include provisions like a reload of the, the Paycheck Protection Program, that would include a second round of economic impact payments, uh, that would include support for, for airlines that have been, been really struggling. That's an industry that's been really struggling uh, in, in, in the, this, this pandemic context. Uh, and we're very keen mm -hmm. for movement on that front. And, and my colleague, the Treasury Secretary, remains engaged and talks are continuing. Let's talk about the labor market where the job loss has gone uh, to some extent from temporary job loss to more permanent job loss. And it makes sense. I mean, there are industries who it's obvious they're not going to need the kinds of workers that they had before this pandemic for, for possibly several years. So what happens to the workers who are let go from those industries? Do you think that they'll be able to find work in some of the other industries where there are still labor shortages? Uh, do they need to be supported until they can go back to what they were doing previously? And, and how does that all bear on where the unemployment rate goes from here? So the increase in permanent job losers in, in the month of September is definitely something that, that, that we were paying close attention to. Also, we saw that there were, was an increase in, in folks not in the labor force, although we, when we look at the underlying data, we see that many of those folks were, were not in the labor force because they hadn't actively searched for work in the past four weeks due to concerns about the pandemic. Um, but definitely, this is one of the reasons why we want a phase four uh, agreement that would provide additional support to the economy, that would provide additional incentives for employee retention and, and net hiring. But here again, I think it's important to maintain some perspective. Um, 
in, in just two months' time, we have reduced the, the unemployment rate from 10.2% to 7.9%. In the aftermath of the previous recession, 2008, 2009, it took more than three years. It took three years to reduce the unemployment rate from, from 10% in October 2009 to 7.9% in September 2012. So I think this, the speed of the recovery thus far has just been unprecedented, and we certainly want to, to mm-hmm. maintain that that pace uh, and even accelerate it. Yes, we want we need good speed, uh, Mr. Goodspeed. Thank you for joining me, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you Tyler for having Goodspeed me. is the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Let's get over to Sue Herrera now, who's got our CNBC News update this hour. Sue? Indeed I do, Kelly. Thank you very much. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows saying he found out Hope Hicks had tested positive as President Trump was leaving Washington. But the president continued on to last night's fundraiser in New Jersey, even though there was a chance he had been exposed. We uh, discovered that uh, right as uh, uh, the uh, Marine One was taking off yesterday, we actually pulled some of the people that had been traveling in in close contact. The reason why it was reported out, just frankly, is that we had already started the contact tracing just prior to that. That explanation, though, is not playing well near where the Trump campaign event was held. One resident had sharp words for the president. If you know that you possibly have been infected by somebody right next to you, you should stay home and not spread it, especially with the numbers going up the way they are. Totally irresponsible. In Kentucky, grand jury testimony in the Breonna Taylor case has been released. Officers say they knocked repeatedly on Taylor's door, even though they had a no-knock warrant. Officers also said that they did not search for drugs despite entering the apartment on a narcotics warrant. You are up to date on a very busy news day, Kelly. I'll send it back to you. Boy, is it. Sue, thank you very much. Our Sue Herrera. Coming up on the trail, we'll look at what the president's COVID-19 diagnosis could mean for both campaigns with just a little over a month left until the elections. Plus, will today's news hurt or help negotiations on stimulus relief, which seem to have picked back up? We're back after this quick break with much more here on The Exchange. Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets mounting a major comeback today after a steep fall on the news that President Trump tested positive for COVID-19. What does it all mean now for negotiations on additional stimulus relief? Elon Moy has been following the twists and turns for us. And Elon, it feels like every half hour there's something new today. Well, Kelly, right now it looks like more aid is coming at the very least for the airline industry. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi issuing a plea to the industry this afternoon, calling upon the airlines to delay their devastating job cuts as relief for airline workers is being advanced in Congress. She said that lawmakers want to extend the payroll support program by six months, either through a standalone bill that has bipartisan support or through a comprehensive negotiated relief package. Now, just last night, it seemed like the prospect of a deal with the administration was looking pretty grim. But this morning, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer sounded a lot more optimistic. Hopefully those uh, negotiations will bear fruit. Uh, sooner rather than later. When I say sooner rather than later, I hope that this weekend uh, perhaps an agreement can be reached. Kelly, he said that right now both sides are operating with goodwill.
Back over to you. Elon, if there's movement, where's the movement coming from? Which side and towards what kind of middle goal do you think? Well, I think it could possibly come from both sides here. Pelosi had been holding firm against doing any type of piecemeal action on stimulus here with this announcement saying that she would look at a standalone bill for the airlines, perhaps as a sign that she's willing to bend there. Meanwhile, on the Republican side, Democrats are saying this could be the moment where they look at the money that's needed for things like testing, tracing and treatment and say it is time to come back to the table and do another deal and perhaps spend more money on that deal. So we'll be watching to see where both sides land. Yeah, good points. All right, Elon, for now, thank you very much, our Elon Moy in Washington. For more on when we might be able to expect a possible stimulus package, I'm joined by Stephanie Miller, Managing Director of Fiscal Note Markets, and Tony Fratto, who's founding partner of Hamilton Place Strategies and former White House Deputy Press Secretary under George W. Bush. He is also a CNBC contributor. Welcome to you both. Stephanie, the last time we spoke, you didn't think it was very likely we were going to get another uh, bill. Correct me if I'm wrong, maybe before year end, but certainly not before the election. Uh, would you update that thinking now? So the reason why I'm not quite ready to update that thinking is that I don't really know why Pelosi has agreed to do this piecemeal. Um, she had been very adamant, as Elon Moy was just saying, about not moving a COVID deal piecemeal. And the reason to do that is then you can extract more things that you know you need to get for your uh, base, your rank and file, your progressives, whatever it is. You need to have some leverage. So if she is saying, you know what, we can do this very important thing piecemeal, then I don't know how she can come to the negotiating table with the leverage she needs to reach a deal. Yeah. So, Tony, what, what about you? I mean, do you does this suggest more movement to you? Uh, and by the way, there's a, a, probably a big difference between there's going to be relief for airlines and there's going to be a trillion dollar relief package for the whole economy. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think a trillion plus, actually. I, I, I've been a fairly lonely voice, I think, over the past uh, few weeks, especially as, you know, one of the people still holding out the likelihood that a deal was going to get done. And even over the past uh, week, it looked to me like the kinds of negotiations that you see that go down to the wire where both sides are trying to find ways to find that saddle point of where they can give and can't give. And I think that's where they're going to be. I mean, it's, I think the number is going to begin not with a two, but with a one. It'll be in the one seven five one eight trillion range. And, uh, and both sides will have been able to say uh, that they fought for all they could uh, and that, you know, doing nothing isn't uh, satisfactory. I think the news today, both on the jobs front and on the, uh, uh, you know, the news with uh, President and Mrs. Trump, that uh, it's a volatile situation. I don't think these guys want to go into the next uh, four and a half weeks without having some protection uh, and to, in a lot of cases right. to do something good in this economy. Let me just follow up on that, Tony, because from a purely politics point of view, um, why, if this would ostensibly help President Trump's reelection odds, why would Democrats agree to it, to the kind of bill that you're talking about at a $1.8 trillion figure? Uh, look, I think it helps them both, to be honest with you. I think there are both things to be gained uh, here. You know, one, for Democrats to say that they, uh, that they responded and they were able to, uh, you know, take action uh, for the things that they care about. Uh, so I think that's important. I think it obviously matters for Trump, who really, really needs uh, something to change the dynamics of this race in some way. And, you know, we, we saw with the, um, 
the, the debate earlier this week. It's not going to come from there, and there's no question of how much room there is. This would really take the air out of uh, you know markets, and I think show a big dip, uh, you know, a split between the White House and the Trump campaign and congressional and Senate Republicans who are out there trying to campaign right now. Stephanie, what would you add to that? And if we do get movement and we get a bill in the next couple of weeks, uh, kind of what would you think the ramifications of that would be? Yeah, I mean, so I was actually bullish this could happen until the SCOTUS nomination fight became front and center. Um, and at that point, it just seemed like the politics were getting way too heated for either side to be able to give on a deal. I think that you know, this argument that both sides want something is very true. Um, the argument that the country needs it is very true. So, but that hasn't, that's not necessarily new. Like in theory, both sides have wanted this for a long time. And in theory, the country has needed it for months. Um, and so it's hard for me to know what the catalyzing event will be. But I will say, like, it's very true. Seeing both sides come together and good faith negotiation indicates the politics are arguing to them that they need to figure out how to reach a deal. So it would obviously be pretty positive if they did. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you. We'll leave it there for now. Great to see you both, Stephanie Miller and Tony Fratto. And these markets have rallied big time off the lows, possibly uh, on the hopes of what they were just talking about. Coming up with headlines still coming in fast and furious out of D.C. today. Should investors make any more moves in their portfolio or stay the course? We'll discuss that and take a look at some of today's movers. Tesla lowered despite posting better than expected delivery numbers. Tesla off 6.5% right now. Bed Bath & Beyond, though, adding another 10% after yesterday's massive gain. It all goes back to their earnings report. And Twilio is up nearly 13%, having its best day since July after raising guidance. We're back in two. wild day for the markets. The Dow briefly turned positive after falling more than 400 points following the announcement that President Trump tested positive for the novel coronavirus. Dow's now back down by about 100 points. The Nasdaq is off 2 percent. Uh, all this after the House passed a $2.2 trillion stimulus bill last night. But now we await more headlines on what the fate of that bill may be. For more on what all this means to the markets, let's bring in Barry Knapp. He is managing partner at Ironsides Macroeconomics. Barry, it's good to have you. Uh, so we... Now it, it sounds like, based on the conversation we just had a few moments ago, that the odds for some kind of relief package are a little bit higher now. And where do you think that leaves the market? Yeah, I, I, um, I was a little taken aback by the initial market reaction this morning because my response to that um, diagnosis of the president was that this would actually embolden uh, the purveyors of lockdown nation, those that have really advocated non-pharmaceutical -pharm interventions. And so... I thought, well, that meant tech ought to really rally. Um, that was okay with me. I upgraded it a week ago after having downgraded it in, in August. But the rally seems to be all about a fiscal stimulus package. Now, I, I guess I understand the logic of this, which is the idea that, you know, you, you create a whole lot of fiscal stimulus. It's monetized by monetary policy, and that lifts asset prices. Um, I think, though, the market's going to look through that fairly quickly. Now, by fairly quickly, I don't mean necessarily between now and the end of the year. The market might grasp onto all that and say, okay, 
you know, we're just going to throw a lot of liquidity at the problem and the markets are going to rally. But I think when we move into right. 2021, we're going to realize that, you know, transfers to state and local governments will slow the reopening process. Um, more $600 supplemental unemployment insurance will slow the recovery in the labor market. Today's payroll report had, you know, NPIs or lockdown nation written all over it. You could see sectors like, you know, retail and construction doing much better than uh, leisure and hospitality and education and health, the 230,000 state and local education teacher jobs that uh, were lost yeah. or don't probably. All of those things sort of speak to how quickly we reopen and safely we reopen. So, you know, that to me is is the bigger, longer-term issue for investors who are you know, more concerned with the performance of the next year rather than the next couple of months. And how, so Barry, it's interesting because you're saying basically as goes kind of the lockdowns, so goes the economy and, and so goes the markets. And you think the Trump's diagnosis makes more lockdowns more likely. Uh, is that even if he kind of shakes it off? No, that's, that, that's a point that I was going to add on for sure is how well he does uh, will determine the path of the lockdowns and, and may, you know, be an opportunity for him to turn around, you know, the, the possibility or probability of being reelected as well. I mean, you know, if, if he shakes it off, if he responds to it like Bolsonaro or even Boris Johnson, who seemed to get through it, be able to work through most of it, although I think Johnson was probably a little sicker than Bolsonaro, but if he's able to work through this process, then he gets to do a little bit of a I told you so. And um, that may actually help his election prospects and certainly will help the reopening process. Yeah. And Barry, real quickly, then, where would you put investors in the reopening trade or in the rotation? Uh, that's one and the same into the reopening rotation or stick with lockdown nation? Uh, no, I, I I've liked the technology sector because of secular trends like, you know, movement to the cloud, digitization, I would still be market weight in that. I wouldn't be underweight, but I do, I'm not going to pull, you know, the rug out from under the belong cyclicals, belong industrials, belong in materials, because I do think that we're going to continue with the reopening process. And, uh, and to me, the economy is showing a lot of dynamism, the recovery in small business employment relative to large business employment from the ADP report this week was a great case in point. So I want to stick with that cyclical impulse, but, um, you know, we, we may have been dealt a, a setback depending on how the president responds to the, the virus in the next two weeks. Yeah. You know, it is amazing how much is going to come down to that. Barry, appreciate you connecting the dots for us today. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks. Barry Knapp of Ironsides. Coming up, we continue to follow all the economic fallout from everything happening in Washington. We're about a month away from the contentious election in which the president himself says that mail-in voting could be a disaster. What could a drawn-out, disputed election mean for the credit ratings of cities, states, and the country? We'll dig into that next. Remember, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two.
Welcome back. Treasury yields largely tracking stocks today after declining on President Trump's positive COVID test. But the 10 years now just off the session highs it hit on stimulus hopes. We continue to fluctuate on all of these headlines out of Washington this afternoon. The larger question is how this uncertainty over the election in particular has any impact on the government's credit. Let's bring in Vikram Rai for more. He's managing director and head of municipal strategy over at City. Vikram, it's great to have you here. You know, we were a little shook by the news yesterday of uh, Moody's downgrading New York City's credit rating. What else could be next, do you think? Uh, thank you, Kelly. It's my pleasure to be here. So, see, I want to be clear that we, don't, we do not suborn gratuitous downgrades. And the last thing we want to do is co-opt rating agencies into downgrading credits, which are all, already struggling with very large fiscal deficits. But my worry is that, you know, there is an inconsistency in their methodology. So, for instance, in the past recessions, the number of downgrades, the notional amount of downgrades, were far higher than what we have witnessed in this pandemic. And let's, let's be clear that this is a once-in-a-century pandemic. So that inaction is surprising, right? And like I said, if they don't downgrade, the markets will be very happy. But if they downgrades towards the tail end of the year, if there's a cluster of downgrades, that is not good for investors. And again, I have tried to rationalize this inconsistency in the system. So one way to think of it is maybe they're expecting some kind of a political development. For instance, a large fiscal stimulus package, which could actually reverse some of the credit deterioration that we, that we have witnessed. Or, you know, yeah. and this is something that I've argued for a very long time, that maybe the ratings were too conservative in the beginning. And now, with the deterioration, they have become, in, they have come in parity with the other asset classes. Because municipal credit is stronger yeah. than other competing credits, like, like corporate credit. So, Vikram, let me ask you, because, again, what you're warning about is that we could see a raft of downgrades kind of towards the end of the year as the ratings firms catch up with these developments, unless there's a big COVID package and they don't feel that's necessary. But what would your advice be to investors then who say, well, I would like to avoid that kind of headline risk? Where should I be positioned? What would you say? So, Kelly, so Kelly I, we are unquestionably bullish on the muni market. And the reasoning is very simple. And I have no compunction in saying that my, my outlook for credit, which is bearish, is at completely at odds with my, with my bullish forecast. And the reasoning, like I said, is simple because two reasons. See, firstly, you know, the state and local governments are, are facing very large deficits. So how do they make up for that? Well, in one scenario, maybe there could be a very generous fiscal stimulus package. And if there is, uh, after, the, after the election, if it's a Biden presidency with democratic control of, of Congress, the fiscal aid package will be very generous. That's my expectation. And that could reverse some of the credit deterioration. So, but candidate Biden has made it very clear that he will raise taxes. And if he raises taxes, if the tax rates go up, that increases the value of municipals, which are tax exempt. So there are very few safe sure. havens left. So if the tax rate goes up, the value of municipals will also go up, and that's why there'll be a, a, a steady rush of demand for municipals. Now, on the flip side, supposing it's hmm. not a Biden presidency and the status quo with, with President Trump getting reelected and a split Congress, the fiscal aid package may not be as generous, right? But still, then the state and local governments will be left to their own measures, and they will have to raise state and local government taxes. So one way or the other, 
taxes are going up, right? And if taxes go up, that increases the value of tax exempt. And see, there's something else which is also very interesting. Yeah. I mean, that, you, you must have heard of no, we got to go, Vikram. And green I hate to cut you off, bud, but we we're we're up against the end of the show. But I think your point about higher taxes making munis attractive in spite of everything is absolutely the right place to leave it. Vikram Rai, thank you, sir, for your time today. We appreciate it. And that does it for the exchange. We'll see you on Power Lunch right after this break. Stay with us. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.